All right, hello and welcome back to the Impromptu Board Gaming Segments podcast. I'm Andrew, I'll be your host today. And along with me, we've got Paul and David. And we'll first start off, as we usually do, by talking about games we've recently played. So for me, I still have my weekly Digital Gloomhaven and Kingdom Death Monster campaigns going on, so nothing too new from me. Paul, what about you? Recently, I got to hit up an old favorite. I played Concordia, designed by Matt Gertz, published by Rio Grande Games. Played a four-player game on the three to five player side and it was a good game overall uh it was a teaching game we had to teach one new player and kind of babysit her a little bit through the first few turns but other than that everyone got a feel for it and i still admire the design overall very simple very straightforward but a lot of variation in what can happen that's one of the things i like best about concordia or one of the aspects i look for in a game is there can be different types of games, more specifically high-scoring games or low-scoring games. So how this translates in Concordia is that if everyone kind of goes off on their own and kind of stakes out their own provinces, they collect resources only for themselves. So the game is relatively low-scoring. Or, and this can also happen, where everybody is building cities together, and then when you uh, prefect to get resources, everybody's sort of piggybacking off of everybody else. So everyone gets more total resources and the game will be relatively high scoring. Yeah, it was a good game overall and it still holds up, even though, what was that, 2013? Still recording plays for it. For me, this is one of the games I feel that should be in the top 10 of Board Game Geek, but isn't. What would you shove out of the top 10 to uh, put this in? This this segment has changed. Well, all right, let me look at the top ten real quick. Gloomhaven. Just say Gloomhaven. Just shove it out. Brass Birmingham. I think Gloomhaven's more interesting than Concordia. I'd easily shove out I'd shove out Arc Nova. It's already at number four. Good lord. Okay, but Arc Nova's more interesting than Terraforming Mars. <laughs> you hate Terraforming Mars. And then also I'd also shove out um Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. Oh that's yeah, okay. Because I think it's yeah too too similar a game to occupy two slots in the top ten. David, the top ten is a popularity contest. <laughs> if it's that popular, it gets two two slots. Then I'm kind of upset that Through the Ages is now out of the top ten. That is upsetting. I don't think War of the Rings should be up there, despite the fact that I like that game quite a bit. I mean, it's it's kind of I think feel like it's a nice nod to war gamers who kind of operate the periphery of the board game world. <laughs> But it's above Twilight Struggle, which is probably the like quintessential two-player game. Although that's been replaced apparently by Star Wars Rebellion, which is above both of those. So I'd keep that in there in the top ten, and I'd kick out War of the Ring and Twilight Struggle, even though Twilight Struggle isn't in there at the moment. David, David, uh, what have you been playing lately? Oh, I really can't believe you asked me that. Just pick one. As as the, as you know, but the viewers at home do not know, I have been at a convention over the last week. It's called Board Game Geek Con. So I'm going to run through every game I played at Board Game Geek Con. No, I'm not. So I played 35 new games at Board Game Geek Con. And I'm going to focus on the one that got the most buzz from myself and the group. And that would be Revive. Revive is a game designed by four people I don't know, and I don't dare try to pronounce their names. Anyway, it's published by Aporta Games, and um, it's kind of on the heavier side, but it was in the hot games room. I, and throughout the convention, I saw it being the table being occupied, like the whole convention, similar to Arc Nova last year, which is a sign of its popularity. Other games definitely were not occupied the whole time. In Revive, the theme is essentially a rebuilding civilization. And so you expand out with people, buildings, and you also explore the area first to uncover the terrain to figure out where you can put these people in buildings. People have to be put in designated city spaces or ruined spaces. And then buildings can be placed pretty much anywhere that isn't a resource. There's a bunch of sand spaces that you can build these buildings in. And then so a lot of it is exploring, getting the bonuses, and then finding out really good places to put your buildings. The way you do this is you have a bunch of cards. Consider it like a 
um, kind of like your hand in Concordia, where you just you just have your whole hand, and for each, they're all they're all like characters. They have a top and a bottom. Um, there's little slots on your player board, two on the top, two on the bottom, and when you slot it in, you either get the top bonus on the card or the bottom bonus on the card, depending on which slot you put it in. There's also ways to piggyback so you can double slot and things like that. I won't get into all that, but um, you can also get new new cards, new character cards, which allow you to extend your hand because you can take a turn to just pick up all your cards called hibernation, which is a whole thing. And then, but if you have, you know, more cards, then you obviously do that less. And so you take more turns doing stuff as opposed to hibernating. You just build up your resources. When you get build buildings next to stuff, you go up on three tracks, which give you bonuses. Whenever you put people out, you get special abilities that are asymmetric. And then there's end game tiles at the very corners if you explore far enough. And that's kind of it. So most points wins. That's the gist of the game. I didn't get into a lot of specifics, but you get the idea, hopefully. The question about the game that people had, because everyone only played it once, was just how much longevity the game is. The focus tends to be on, or for the games we played, the focus tends to be on building. Um, some people didn't even build population and did really well. I think it's partially because there was a little bit of asymmetry. Essentially, a friend of ours in the group, his name's Hung, uh, and I ran away with the game compared to the other two people who kind of lagged behind. But they were close in score, and Hung and I were close in score. But everyone still had fun, which is the important thing. Everyone's still interested in the game as they're playing. And I think what happened was, because it, it was the first play, Hung and I expanded towards the south, the other two players expanded towards the northeast. And in the south, there just happened to not be population spaces, so we didn't do that. Whereas in the upper, in the northeast, they did. And more to the point, I think Hung and I kind of understood right away that you wanted to explore with the intent of building buildings, like right after. You know, you do it right away so other people can't steal your spot. And so you can, when you explore, you can manip manipulate the tiles a little bit to try to create these like better spots for your buildings. And when you do that, it does create decent spots around it for other players. And so Hung and I were kind of have this symbiotic relationship where we were just helping each other out just through the process of helping ourselves out. Whereas I think the other players didn't quite understand that as much and tried to explore other spaces and thus lagged behind. So I do think the focus is on building buildings. Not that that's a bad thing. It's just once you understand that and there was a big debate over whether or not um, the people were even worth it at the end. Yeah, which is interesting. This is just one play, mind you. So I think they are. I think they add abilities and they're helpful enough. You know, but the the caveat is I don't think you can win with just a person only strategy. Uh, I think this is a game where you need to build the buildings to win, and it is possible just to ignore them altogether. But I do think it's a part of the game that is worth exploring. And can be beneficial should you not, um, you know, ignore the building part of it. Anyway, I hope I gave a good general idea of what I think about the game. Uh, it was interesting the whole right the um, the multi-use cards, like using the top or the bottom, was interesting spaces along with the whole hand, and like so you had interesting things to do each turn, even if it's just a resource gathering turn. And yeah, it was just a very well to get, uh, well put together, fun to fun to play, fun to explore Euro that may or may not be worth multiple plays. We'll see. But at the very least, the first play was was very good. And that was probably the top game of BGGCon for me. That was Revive, right? Yep, Revive. Designed by four people who I don't dare try to pronounce. And um, and published by Aporta, Aporta Games. You're there! Come on! I pronounced all the designers of uh, Tylatum. Oh, really? Let me, I don't remember that. Let me hear it. You were there for uh, that episode. I was there, but I, I have a very bad memory. All right, all right, all right. That's good enough. All right, well, I've been clicking on their names, and this the one the one designer that seems to be the most uh, prolific of the group is someone named Eilif Svensson, who designed things such as The Magnificent, Santa Maria, Capital Lux, and more recently, a fun little game called Bad Company, which is kind of like Machi Koro and Space Base, got that kind of system. Except you got a gang of people that you're. Um, it's it's much faster. It's like twenty minutes. It's very good. I thought it was very good. Very fast though. So this guy's definitely 
like made a lot of games or designed a lot of games. The other three, they don't really have much under their belt. All right. So big part of today's episode, I'm going to give a little overview of Everdell as well as a little review, my thoughts on it, and then maybe make some comparisons to similar games. So Everdell, I think it is a wonderfully designed game. If you're not familiar with Everdell, this is a worker placement tableau builder. So you send your workers onto spaces to gather the resources. You use these resources to play your cards. These cards form your city thematically, and this is the tableau that you're building. The cards you play, there's a nice wide variety of effects, and some of these cards will help sort of produce resources from time to time, give you passive benefits, maybe even give you new locations for your workers to go to. Again, as part of the overview, on your turn, you're either going to send a worker somewhere or play a card from your hand. Now, what's neat in Everdell is that there's no sort of rounds, like in most worker placement games. Instead, what happens is once you've placed all your workers, you have the option to prepare for the next season. This action is what lets you get your workers back, and as well as you get an additional worker, and potentially some other little benefit depending on the season. So that is the overview of Everdell. As I said before, I think it is fantastically well-designed. I really, really like the prepare for next season mechanic, as it adds a sort of new dynamic to the typical worker placement experience where you know we have the rounds and you just sort of go around the table one at a time placing all your workers until everyone's done and obviously in some of these games agricola sort of being the classic example you have the opportunity to gain more workers uh, which means which sort of extends your turn in the round and then other people are sort of stuck waiting and this really fixes that it makes the whole flow very dynamic and smooth. You don't really have to wait your turn. You prepare for a season. You just immediately move on to the next person. And then once it's your turn again, you're ready to go. It makes the timing really interesting. And it's a big part of why I really like this game. Other fun parts of Everdell. It is aesthetically pleasing on like all fronts. Art, the feel of the board and the components. Cool in, in the art of Everdell is that some cards, if you have them in your, in your tableau, they let you play other cards for free. And so thematically, these are like woodland critters trying to make a city. So what will often happen is in the art for a building, there's going to be a specific critter that sort of mans or runs that building. And if you look at the art of these cards, if you look at the art of the building, you'll often find the critter associated with, with that building somewhere in the art. But, you know, for, for those of us who don't care too much about aesthetics, the gameplay elements I mentioned earlier still make for a very fun experience. And actually, the other, the last cool, fun surprise that happened to me and everyone I've taught it to is that the very first round, quote unquote, goes really quickly because you only you start with only two workers, you place them on your spots, you maybe play one card, you prepare for the next season. The first time I played this game, I was playing with David, and my first thought when that happened was, "Wow, this game's gonna be really quick. How's this game ever gonna be, you know, sixty to ninety minutes?" But then you play the whole game, and suddenly, like, wow. It happened. What you thought would have been such a short thing really evolved into this full experience. And the very last bit, the flow of resources was done really well too, I think. Such that you sort of use and interact with all the different resources. So the cards, the workers, and then the four like main resources you use to play your cards. They f all flow really well together and you never really feel stuck. You always feel like you have something you can do. That's the good points. The nitpicks and other miscellaneous comments that come to mind. So this game has become very popular with a number of expansions. I do really recommend the Spirecrest expansion. That one in particular really stands out to me by introducing new little effects that sort of make the game just a little bit more enjoyable, a little bit more replayable in my mind. The, the expansion is tailored for, to, towards different game experiences. One expansion, the Probrook expansion, is really bad. Just don't get that one. There's another one, I think, called Belfair that introduces asymmetric powers for each different type of animal. And the animals are like the type of workers you have. And I think there's another recent one that introduces a one to two player co-op version as well. So a number of expansions that can be cool if you really enjoy the base game. The base game is awesome as it is. But I do think um, some of these expansions, if you want to tailor it to your experience and preferences, you have that option available to you as well. The downside of having the good variety of card effects is that as a new player, 
And if you're not as familiar with board games and card games, this can feel overwhelming, right? It's a lot of upfront work you have to do to sort of process the card effects and what's going on. That said, I think it is really worth it. And I think you'll have a great time at the end of it. Um, it's definitely one of those games where you can just have fun doing your own thing. You're not going to be actively competing and like destroying each other's buildings or anything. There's always something you can do. You'll always be able to progress in some way. And moving things around, playing your cards, that experience is still going to be a very pleasant one. So with that, using the impromptu board gaming segments podcast rating scale of how many times I'd play this game, I'd give this an 8 to 10 plus. So sort of depending on your experience and familiarity with these card-based games, you might find it less fun in about 8 to 10 plays and might start to want something more. And this is when I would recommend having one of these expansions, because that at least doubles the number of plays, in my opinion. This is a game I still plan on playing a lot with my friends. So yeah, at least 8 to 10. And you know, if you're less familiar it might, and you're willing to get past the initial hump of learning the stuff, it'll probably be worth even more. Wow, you feel like the expansion content doubles the content of the games? It really adds a new effect. So the Spirecrest one I mentioned, it adds two big notable things. One are seasonal effects. Each season has like a slightly small different rule. So like maybe, oh, if you go on a certain spot with a worker, you get like less resources. Or like, oh, maybe you can't draw cards from like the communal pool of cards in the middle or something like that. And the other cool thing is that it introduces, it makes the prepare for season, it adds an element to that. So one fun thing is the big critters, which are like workers with now special powers. Um, alternatively, you also potentially get um, new endgame scoring conditions or potentially new spots to put your workers on. It, it really does add quite a bit. I've, I've had a blast with it. <laughs> so I haven't played any of the expansions, so I can't speak to them specifically, but what I did see was that at BGGCon this year, 2022, they had the Everdell Complete Collection. Wow. Yeah, with giant box of Everdell with everything in it, all the expansions. And that thing is massive. That thing is like Kingdom Death Monster size. Almost, not quite that big, but about the same size as like Mechs versus Minions, maybe. Or like <laughs> one of those games. Those big collections. It was heavy, too. Yeah, there's like five or so expansions. Yeah, it's nuts. So that's quite a bit. I do have to check them out, though. It does sound like the expansions do add a lot and something I'd be interested in trying. However, I probably wouldn't recommend them to anyone who hasn't played the base game already. Very true. One of the things I like about Everdell is that, besides the artwork, everything you mentioned, essentially, is that I do feel that there is a bit of card luck in the game. Whereas, as you mentioned, some cards, when you play them, they're in your tableau, they let you play other cards for free. This is specifically the building cards will let you play the resident of the building for free, or the resident will let you play the building card for free. It works both ways. But the thing is... It's actually only building to the critter. Okay, crap. I've been playing it wrong. No wonder you keep winning. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> or I just don't remember. Anyway. Um, so yeah, if, but you can have these... It's very possible to have these buildings and not have the critter, or have the critter and not have the building. And then, obviously, if you build a critter, you'll draw the building shortly after, not get the free bonus that you could have had. So that's somewhat unavoidable, and it is part of the game, but I think it's minimized by a very unique system in that they have 10 cards in the middle, which is like a community pot. And it can kind of be a race to get these if you and another player want them, but it's almost like an extended hand in that you can see all those cards out there, and it really helps to get these bonuses as there's much more potential to see more cards in order to plan out your turns. It's very rare to have a hand, both on the community board and in your own personal hand, that doesn't have at least one of these combos in it. That being said, it's still possible. It's just much less with this mechanic, which I thought was really neat. And sometimes you even bait uh, other players to try to use the community pot just so that you'll see more cards that come up and hope to get something you really want in that regard. How do you bait them? Point out a handy little combo in the middle or... How do you bait them? You just encourage them. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, there's no incentive, like there's no player to player incentivizing other than, hey, uh, you know what would be really great if you took that building? <laughs> yeah, or you could, I mean, you can meta it a little bit if you really want to be like, yeah, I'm kind of thinking about that one or something like that. Oh, well, that's a little... Well, it's at least disingenuous, right? Because you're not actually good at thinking about it. More fairly, I guess, or more um, 
what's honorably, you can just simply buy some stuff from the middle. That usually triggers people to also do the same. They're reminded, hey, these are finite resources. Thus, you know, I should get on that or else it might not be there if I wait too long. Does the communal cards, they replenish when someone like prepares for the next round or when do they replenish? At the end of each person's turn. Oh, okay. At the end of each person's turn. Yeah, it's never wiped clean and replaced completely. Unless maybe some expansion does that or something. Just because you could be in your final season when someone's still in their first season, theoretically. Because there's no exact end of season for the entire player. Right, like people can be on different seasons, on on different seasons, and that's totally fine. Yeah, but it just means there isn't a convenient place to just flush the board and restart. It'd be more interesting if you can only do it when someone changes seasons, prepares for the next season. Or if everybody gets like a token to like flush the board once per game or something like that. That might be something worth considering. Oh, then there's only like four flushes per four-player game? Exactly. Yeah, I do wonder if that's... Like, one of the expansions, like, adds new... Actual adds new cards to, like, the deck of cards you use to make your tableau. I wonder if that's one of the things they add in there. And I know one of the cards in the base deck does interact specifically with that communal pile. That being said, a general rule of thumb for this game is that there is a limit to the amount of space you have in your village. And if you've not completed a village by the end of the game, at least in the base set you're probably not going to win. There are exceptions to this. There are high-value buildings, and you could just build a ton of those, theoretically. But generally, if you just build those, you're not building any kind of resource engine to help you out. I feel I feel like it's a little rare to not have a full village, or at least have a full village at one point, because it is possible to destroy your buildings or recycle your buildings, essentially. So I think that's a good rule of thumb on how well you're doing. You probably want at least 12 of the 15 filled up. Every card in your tableau is worth some points at minimum anyways, so it helps. But it's also entirely possible some strategies, you end up a little too flush with resources and you run the risk of filling up your city very early and then running out of room. I also like this game for the completely unnecessary aesthetics that it adds to the game. Components are really nice, like the, the rubber berry. It looks so pretty and are squishy. Yeah, rubber berries which roll all over the place and are hard to keep still. But I'm, I'm referring more to the tree you build. And you just, all it is is just to put these little cards on it, which are goals to shoot for, which is a cool part of the game because that's that adds a little incentive to race and beat your opponents to that. But at the same time, this tree is also very hard to kind of to look at, not not to look at in terms of like, you know, how pretty it is, but the cards on top of the tree are not the easiest spot to check constantly to remember like what goals you're going for, other stuff like that. The tree does serve two other functions. For the record, one, the workers go there when you prepare for season. That's where you get them from. And two, the base of it is one potential spot to put the deck of cards to draw from. It, it is a very fun presentation. It, it will definitely stand out on the table. Yeah, it definitely has a lot of table presence. When it first came out, people walk by it just to look at it and you're like, dang, that is impressive. It does add table presence. It does add that kind of cool factor, but it also adds the annoyance factor, at least for me. It's just as easy to just not put the tree together, just lay it flat and not stand it up and just put the stuff on it. It's the same function. <laughs> you want to give it a rating? Oh, me personally? Uh, it's hard. Like base game, I give it like maybe like five or six plays or so. And, and I'll add a plus to that. It's a very, it's a very good game. I feel like I, I have it figured out after like two or three plays but i want to play a few more but it's just so it's just so fun you know just the theme is really cute it feels good to build the building and have people move in then you have your own little town the gameplay is pretty fast and rather fascinating it still baffles me how much longer i mean you do get an extra worker but just how much more you have at the end of the game compared to the beginning how much longer it takes despite the board not changing uh all that is is your own little tableau but it just adds so much each time. I'm always fascinated by these tableau building, uh, resource building games in a sense. Um, but I got to give it, um, but the base game is, there's only so much, especially once you've played through a few times. However, the plethora of expansions definitely adds a lot and I haven't gone through them yet. So it's hard. So it's impossible to rate those for now, but there's a lot of potential. I'm, I'm interested to go through them and really see what I think because you know, just, just playing the base game, it is interesting to see how far this game could expand. Yeah, I've only played the base game, too. I haven't had a chance to play the expansions. But yeah, I thought this game was really fun. One thing I'll say is it's pretty teachable, which is kind of rare. When people play it, I've noticed they're very engaged and very, like, 
they want to pay attention, which can be a little tricky depending on what groups you're teaching how to play games. And this is especially important when you're teaching new gamers. They just, you know, aren't used to sitting and listening to a lot of instructions for a long amount of time. But you have something so visually compelling and then the gameplay is like also also compelling and very intuitive. Like Andrew mentioned the art and how the art will show you the connection between the critter and the building. And that just makes like how that makes that mechanic more intuitive for new players, which is a design functionality that I really admire because you always want to make that front load easy on your uh, newer gamers. So when you go, oh, okay, when you have this building established, you can get this card for free. And then it shows you a picture of that critter. I mean, that just makes it so easy for new players. And I really admire that. If I was going to give it a rating, I'm pretty close in with David, probably like five plays. And then the plus, just because, you know, it's a fun game. You can play it over and over and not get tired of it. Excellent. Now, of course, this wouldn't be complete if we didn't compare this game to Terraforming Mars because one, like, it's kind of my thing. And two, for me, having, having played both, and I've, I've played more Everdell than Terraforming Mars, I really feel like Everdell was kind of designed to solve all the problems Terraforming Mars has. Like when I mentioned like the rounds thing and, you know, people being able to be on different rounds and not having to wait around for the action stuff, like I think that's a very clear thing. And okay, that's that's not Terraforming Mars specific, but like Terraforming Mars has that. So <laughs> the timing dynamics is a lot more interesting than Everdell's result. And if we compare the timing dynamics in Terraforming Mars, it's, I feel like it's pretty straightforward, right? Like, you know, you want to be a little careful around reaching the little temperature and oxygen thresholds for the Terraform rating boost and like... Like, it's, it's generally a lot more straightforward, just, okay, probably you do one action most of the time just to give yourself time to act later on, and then two actions when you really need to go fast at a specific point. And then, you know, aesthetically, which obviously doesn't matter for some people, but, like, God, Terraforming Mars is ugly. <laughs> you, like, I don't think you can deny that, right? Like... <laughs> yeah. I think the real problem with the aesthetic of Terraforming Mars is that the art style across cards is inconsistent. It's inconsistent, yeah. And then that becomes really kind of obnoxious from an overall sense. Obviously, some of the, like, all the event cards look very similar. A lot of the blue and green cards look kind of similar. But then there's just not a consistent, like, art direction through the whole game. And then people just really like, oh, this is unattractive <laughs> it, it's just jarring and then you know people don't exactly know how to like verbalize why this is unappealing but yeah i, I get it. it it is unappealing some of the iconography notably you know the difference between the resource and like the production and like yeah that's true the whole like brown border equals production versus the uh the icon itself is the is just one item it's like the icon is like so prominent on both of those right because the icon's still there on the production anyways anyways a lot of people were very confused by that the first time around. I was like, oh, right. It could have been done better, yeah. So yeah, just to be clear, like, Terraforming Mars is enjoyable, and I've, I've had a lot of fun playing it. I just think it's hilariously and painfully and bafflingly overrated. And I really feel like it, it's only as popular as it, came out, as it is today because it came out at a good time. I'm not sure it would hold up if it came out today. I'm not sure it would hold up compared to the quality of games are now. Oh, Wow, that's a good question. Would it hold up today? I don't know, honestly. I think it would. I think, I mean, it's, it's a little weird because a lot of games based on it have come out. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I, like, I can't deny that it's influential and that it's fun. I can't deny that. Right. But like, if it came out today as is, probably not. I think it would need to touch up in the aesthetic a little bit. But like, just the base game itself, I think it would still do fine, yeah. It's, it's like that old question, like, because Puerto Rico's always been, like, super highly rated just because um, it was, like, kind of the first of its kind, so it's kind of a legacy rating. So many games have ripped it off and then started doing things better or taking aspects of it better that, yeah, if it came out today, it probably wouldn't do as, it wouldn't be as successful as it was, but that's just because it's the building block that all these other games came out of, so it's not really fair. Yeah. You could say that with Dominion, Seven Wonders. Although I feel like those games do hold up, honestly. I guess it would be a harder sell to sell, like, it's like, oh, it's like base clank or something. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, no, the thing about the interesting thing is, like, Terraforming Mars, 
biggest detraction to the uh, the comparison is that Terraforming Mars isn't a worker placement game. Everdell kind of adds that to it, and so that gives it a fundamental difference. But also, I think Terraform... I don't know... Again, I don't know about the Everdell expansions, but Terraforming Mars, a lot of its problems, I feel, were helped out by expansions. Specifically, one expansion, the Prelude expansion. Prelude expansion just kickstarts the game, cuts like at least a half an hour off of it just by jump-starting everyone. Oh, it knocks off the first half hour. It helps so much. Yeah, the first few turns where you're just kind of like, oh, I'll play like two cards and then pass the next turn because I have no resources and then I'll play two more here and now I'm up where prelude is yeah <laughs> yeah that, that was a big jump and then just adding more variability to like the different maps the different goals things like that i kind of had a bad experience with the prelude just because after we drafted the prelude cards themselves and everyone got the jump start i was within like i drafted two cards i drafted basically put me within striking distance of two of the three milestones within like the first three turns so basically nobody else even had a shot. So I thought like, oh, this is a very big problem with Prelude. It can put you in such a position that you can just take the milestones really fast and you're at a massive advantage as you move forward with the game. Uh, kind of. I mean, you have a 10-point advantage, but I don't know if that's how massive that is. It's pretty big. And yeah, I, I think it's a, it's actually like a 20-point advantage because it's a swing of 10 for each one, right? No one had a chance. You're not taking away from anyone because you're the only one. You're the only one that had it, right? Well, that's just what I mean, right? Like, through few resources, I'm scoring, like, a bonus 10 points that other people can't get to. I guess that might be a problem in, like, a tournament or something. But for the most part, the cool thing with the milestones is that as big or as small as an advantage you might think they are, they don't really affect the other players. You're not hurting their engine. You're not hurting their game. Maybe just their confidence. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. But, you know, you're not hindering them in any way by taking these milestones, at least. And the, uh, Everdell does that as well. The, all the milestones, all this stuff. And remember, wrong, are there cards that affect the other players in Everdell? Like, makes them discard or something like that? No. No, there are none. Because I remember I remember there's a, one of the neat things. I like. I really like games where you can take opponents' buildings. You can do that, but then they get, they get something for it. When you say take, do you mean, like, take possession of or just use it? Just use it. That's one of the downsides of Terraform Mars, actually. People are really against these uh, attack cards. Um, same thing happened in Arc Nova, although Arc Nova has a built-in option. Friendly version. Yeah, which I feel like the majority of people use. It doesn't feel good to attack opponents when, well, for most people anyway. I guess some people really do like attacking opponents. But for most people, it's just... What are the attack cards in Arc Nova? They're like Venom and other things. Uh, you probably have an. Ex I don't know you, if you've played with most of our friend group. But they've already decided not to play with the attack cards, so you probably haven't played with them. I don't. Yeah, I've only played Arc Nova once, and I didn't. I didn't notice those cards. So. Well, that's the thing. Even even if you're playing with the attack cards in Arc Nova, there's only like maybe I think there's like eight or ten of them in the whole deck of like two hundred something. So you may not even see one from game to game, and if you do, it'll have this red text of the attack, but underneath it is a alternative text which you can use if you're not attacking and that's the thing in terraform mars they don't really have that that just you can opt not to attack but in general in a game like even or everdell or terraforming mars it doesn't feel good to attack other players it feels like you're just targeting them specifically and you know unless you had a direct reason like a direct need to kill their plants that you could plant first or something like that unless you had a very specific region which i feel is a bit rare it just feels like you're targeting one person in particular for no reason other than you just have the option you might as well mm -hmm. especially because a lot of these attack cards are like one-time uses especially in terraforming mars right so yes and they're linked to other cards you want to play. So it's like, might as well. And no, that doesn't feel good for really anybody. I mean, it does sort of, uh, you know, keep in check a certain, like, runaway leader tendency, right? Isn't that what that mechanic's supposed to do? Give you a little bit of agency in regards to preventing a runaway leader from just running away with the game? But now we've made a kingmaker. Ho, 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 ho. See our other episode. <laughs> Is that what it's for? What if the runaway leader doesn't have the stuff, isn't doing the strategy that you're targeting? There are always going to be like exceptions, but I, I think that's what the thing is like, that's what the goal of the mechanic is supposed to be. Like, oh, okay, someone's doing exceptionally well. You can kind of narrow the gap between you by attacking them a little. I mean, losing a few plants is not like game breaking, right? Um, Mr. Five Points is game breaking, I believe it can be. 
<laughs> uh, I believe it was ten. <laughs> it was ten. Well, yeah, two of them, yeah. But like each goal is each of these goals is five points, right? So if you only if you preluded to one goal, you wouldn't be saying much. You'd be like, oh, this is great. Two, you're like, oh, this is broken. I'm too good. So I feel like one is the five point mar- marker is the tipping point here. Yeah, yeah. See, one point is only twenty percent of five points. So there you go. How much the breaking someone's plants affects them really depends on when you do it. If you do it in like the first few turns, that could be the first eight plants they built up, and it took them like all their starting cards, or you know, they get it, they only have an income of like two plants per turn, and so that first tree is like an extra money a turn two money actually maybe a point or two and it increases the oxygen early which could affect several cards that's a much bigger effect than like later in the game when they have like an income of like eight or nine or whatever they just replace the next turn so you can nuke someone especially and the ones that nuke resource production like the titanium or the reduced production by one yeah. those hurt much worse oh yeah yeah yeah, especially because it, it's so it's, it's generally expensive to build those cards. If you build it early, you're like, okay, I built this early. Now I'll get this one resource for the rest of the game, which will be like, I don't know, 12, 13 turns, right? You hit them with that remove titanium in the same time. Now they just lost the equivalent of like 30 money. Over the course of the game, yeah. Over the course of the game, yeah, which is gigantic. And their investment too. Right, and the, and the stuff they put into it. And so I don't know. I don't think that part was well thought out. Well, yeah, okay. It's also worse because people will be holding these cards and they're like, I'm not going to play this card until someone gets their first energy and then I'll just nuke them. <laughs> Which, like, makes sense. Yeah, you want to get your full value of the card. It's like, God damn, come on. <laughs> Do you wait for someone to wrong you first and then you, in reprisal, you'll, you'll, you'll hit them right back? It's nice to have that little insurance, depending on how you're playing. It is a nice insurance to have. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, you hit my plants, huh? Well... <laughs> Do you show the card? Oh, yeah, I have this card. I'm not going to use it. But someone, you know, <laughs> attacks me. That's a great... That, yeah, it only costs three to buy the card, but it's insurance. You're never going to use it, but you just turn it around in your hand, and you're just like, you know, actions have consequences. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do that in a lot of Take That games. Yeah, yeah. Bootleggers. There's a lot of Take That games. So it's even... Even even the most basic one, family family business is one of the most basic take that games. And it's nice to have a threat just show so that people don't target you as much theoretically. Now, granted, sometimes if you're ahead or if people just don't like your attitude, sometimes they'll just bite the bullet and gang up on you. That was one of the best things about family business because it's mafia themed. It's totally thematic for people to just gang up on you and can't really be that mad. It's, it's the theme of the game. <laughs> anyway, attack cards, just not good. Not good in Terraforming Mars. I think they're okay. I don't, have a, I don't have a huge problem with them. Always a troublesome design. Would you like, Andrew, would you like Terraforming Mars more if it was um, full of very little critters? I, I just feel like like the, the drafting part and the paying to keep things was like, eh, maybe couldn't you have made everything cost three more? And then like, it feels like there's just a few more fiddly elements than you would expect, right? It doesn't feel like it's elegantly designed the way like Everdell is. Well, I think that's just like the first lesson of Terraforming Mars. The easiest way to lose is to draft too many cards. Basically, you're pouring too much money into getting more cards and not enough money into actually playing those cards and getting the benefit from them. So I think that's just like the first lesson of Terraform Mars. And then if you're drafting, it makes the decision space a little more interesting because then you're taking something and you don't necessarily have to buy it. You're just taking it and making sure someone else doesn't have it. I think is like how that decision space was supposed to be designed. I need to take this card out of play or, you know, do I draft a meteor so that no one can use it on me if I'm the only one with plants? That kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. I I just think it just didn't quite grab me and it just didn't feel like, again, I had fun. I just think it's really overrated. That's my bottom line with Terraforming Mars. I'm kind of at a point where I don't think there's much new, there's much more new stuff to learn from the game. Like you've seen everything the game has to offer as far as the base game. I've definitely played the the first two extra maps that came out for it. And uh, really, that was the one that went with the prelude combos that were so easy to get for milestones. One of them was just like uh, have one of every type of production. And then they're just one of the um, one of the prelude cards is like get these three productions. And then my other prelude card was get these other two productions. And then that was it. I was like, oh, I have them all. OK, well. <laughs> Let me pay $8 and take five points. You're not going to get better point money to point ratio than that. <laughs> that was easy through, you know, no effort. 
And like, I didn't even have to pay it right away. No one was even close. So I could like wait and take it anytime I wanted. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So I don't know like all the Terraforming Mars content, but I definitely feel like there's nothing to learn from the base game. It's still fun. I'll still play it once in a while, but it's not exactly a lot to like figure out anymore. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm like, so I've played Terraforming Mars probably like five to seven times. And like, I'm sure there's still more, plenty more I could learn, but I think there are just other games I'd rather play. Yeah, what would you give Terraform Mars like a rating wise? Three to five. Three to five? Yeah. I'd say to really get to the point where there's nothing more to learn from the game, it's probably like a dozen games. You need at least two playthroughs just to get a feel for, to see enough of the cards and get a feel for how the game works. So by like three to five, you have a better sense of whether or not you want, whether or not you want to keep playing and investing and learning in this more. And yeah, for me, eh. But I would agree with like what Paul said that, you know, you probably need at least 10 to really have a good sense of the game. David? Oh, I mean, Terraform Mars was um, kind of basically when it came out as opposed to now. And for me, when it came out, like it was definitely a 10 or 10 plus because, I mean, it's, it's kind of in hindsight, but that's exactly what I did. I played it that many times. Oh, wow. You counted? <laughs> no, I just know it's been more than 10. And to be clear, I'm I'm saying this is with um, certain rules like drafting and um, and especially after the Prelude expansion. None of the other expansions really. Well, I like the new maps, but the Prelude expansion is the only like for me must have. Even if it's a little broken with the milestones. Um, well, I don't think I don't think it is. That's this your opinion there. <laughs> My final fun slanderous thought before we conclude the segment: Terraforming Mars is like Ticket to Ride. It's pleasant, it's got fun moments, you have a pretty board at the end of the game, but it's really just a gateway game for other things in the genre. Like Everdell. Ding! Hot take, hot take. All right, and we are here with the game show segment of today's episode. Uh, so today we're going to be playing Timeline, but using Orgame Geek ratings. So what's going to happen is... I'm going to give a board game, the name of board game, to our contestants, Paul and David, and they'll try to put the rating of this game, according to Board Game Geek, in the right order in the timeline. So the ratings of the games will be anything from 50 to 300. So numbers 50 to 300 on Board Game Geek as of November 6th, when I made this list. Each player will have seven games to try and put in the right order in the timeline. The first four games are worth one point each if they get it right. Game numbers five and six are going to be worth two points each. And the very last game is going to be worth three points each because the timeline and the ordering is going to get more and more cluttered and complicated as we go on. And whoever's those points at the end wins. That's the plan. The first game that everything's going to be sort of based on, whether we go rate as better or worse, is going to be Magic the Gathering at number 157. I mean, considering how much Magic has saved gaming stores across America, I feel like it should be a little bit higher or better. But maybe this is a maybe this is a worldwide ranking. And I mean, it is a very worldwide product. Anyways, Paul, David, are y'all ready to play? Ready. Not yet. Not yet. Give me a sec. I'm waiting. Gotta stretch it out. Gotta get. Uh... I think that's been like five seconds. Drink my gamer juice. Yeah. Gamer juice. Gamer juice. All right, ready. Still ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready now. All <laughs> right. Well then, Paul, I'm gonna start with you. Your first game is Yokohama. Yokohama. Is Yokohama rated better or worse than Magic the Gathering? Ooh, can I guess after he guesses for funds? Oh. Do you want to put a stealing mechanic in this? No, no, no steal. Just. Oh, wait, there's only two options. You can't guess after I guess. Well, no, I'm not, not after the answers revealed, just after you, after, yeah, it's just for funds. Yeah, I just want to see if I agree or disagree with what you say. Yeah, no stealing, but it, it could be fun. For brownie points. Um, I'm going to say better. I agree. I think it's better as well. And you are both right. Yokohama is in at number 120. Ding! So that is one point per Paul. David gets the point in spirit, but it won't count for the purposes of our game. (laughs) Spirit points. Yes, I like it. All right. I think spirit points should be the tiebreaker. Spirit points is tiebreaker. I'll keep that in mind. I'll keep that in mind. Okay. (laughs) All right. David, when you're ready, your game is Village. Oh, crap. That's not very nice. Oh, wow. It's pretty new. Is this better than Yokohama? In between Yokohama and Magic, or worse than Magic? Would you be so mean as to give me something between Yokohama at 120 and Magic the Gathering at 157 on my first game? 
That'd be so mean. It's so meta, man. <laughs> oh, this is tough, actually. Wait, you have a list for both of us, right? I do. Did you randomize this list? Or are you doing doing this in a set order? It is somewhat randomized. Yo, man, I quit meta gaming the uh, game show. Just <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's the whole point, right? You're trying to get information outside of the context of the game. What? This is important. This is important because he's if it's not random, he's gonna he's gonna mess up the order. Oh, that's some meta nonsense. <laughs> not nonsense at all. If this is a set order, he's gonna he's gonna do some in between BS. You know what? Why don't we switch? Why don't we switch? I got Yokohama right too. Why don't you go second? I already got Yokohama. You heard my answer and agreed. That's not that's not the same as coming up with it. I got it in spirit. I got it in spirit. <laughs> all right, here's the problem. I know Village was in the top 100 at one point, as high as like 50 or so, but it's long since dropped off, Ooh. and I don't know how much. However, looking at recent trends, like Arc Nova at 4, I'm going to assume it's dropped off past 200, meaning that it is worse than Magic the Gathering. Is that your final answer? That is my final final answer. Final answer. And you are correct. Village is currently at number 181. You didn't even would have guessed. Uh, yeah, I would have guessed worse than uh, magic. No, you can't go for this. You didn't. He didn't give you the chance for a spirit point. You can't say what you did after he reveals the answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, that's fine. There's got to be a real tiebreaker if there's a tie. <laughs> Whoever has gone the most number of games in the right place is the tiebreaker because of the point skewiness later on. Oh, total correct answers is the tiebreak. Okay. Total correct answers. Yeah. All right. All right, Paul, are you ready for your next game? Ready. Okay. Where on this timeline is Camel Up, second edition? Second edition? Second edition. I don't I don't think second edition is its own entry. Yeah, does second edition have a separate entry? It is on Board Game Geek. Are they two separate entries? Wait, so there is a Camel Up and a Camel Up second edition? Okay, I did not look that far. Okay. When I when I did the random number generator, I got the number and it said, and that number pointed me to Camel Up Second Edition. I did not check to see if there's the first Camel Up is up. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it's the same game. It's just or same entry as Camel Up, but I don't know. I could be wrong because freaking War of the Ring doesn't do that. Hmm. All right, I'm gonna say worse than Village. Is that your final answer? Final answer. David, do you want to try for a spirit point just for fun? Yeah, I think it's going to be better than Yokohama. I didn't want 20 there. Okay. And the correct answer is Paul got it right. Damn it. That's right. Your spirit sucks, David. Your spirit sucks. Camel Up 2nd Edition is at number 263. Maybe I'm wrong here. If, if, see if their Camel Up is. Please. I would be curious. Because again, like. No, I don't, I don't want to look at them now because I'm all seated. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> Like, you can look it up, but us looking it up would be inappropriate. <laughs> if you look it up, yeah. I'll look it up later. I'll make a note. <laughs> All right, fine. If I'll, I won't remember later. This is how my brain works. Okay, David. Yo. Your game is Bruges. Where on the timeline is Bruges? Oh, God. I really like Bruges, too. So all these games are in the top 350. Or between 50 and 300. Okay, 50 and 300. Okay, 50 and 300. Huh. Oh, uh, okay. Because I figured if it, the top 50 is like a little too obvious. Okay. So, worse than 300 is, yeah. <laughs> Not anymore. Certain games in the top 50, maybe, but some of them are like, I was surprised Ark Nova was four. I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if it happened eventually, but this is pretty quick. Anyway, let's see. I got to go in my gut here. I think Bruise is very popular, and I think it's more popular than Yokohama which means Yokohama at 120, I think it's better than Yokohama there. Final answer. What do you think, Paul? Wow. I would have said between Village and Camelot. So between 181 and 263? Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's the Paul's spirit answer. And as it turns out, Bruges is at number 298. Wow. So we're all wrong. Oh, wow. He's barely made this list. Okay. Jesus Christ. Bruges, what happened? Honestly, that's that surprised me too. Well, it never got a lot of traction. Bruce never got a lot of traction. Oh, yeah, I thought it did. Like it came out, it was well received, and then it pretty much you don't really hear about it. 
the people who really like it still play it once in a while. But I don't think it really got a lot of traction. It got an expansion, and now it has a reprint. Oh, wow. In Hamburg, which is like the new Bruges. Very cool. Anyway. So my spirit guess was way closer than your actual guess. I guess, if you want to exaggerate the closeness. But yeah, no, I'm surprised it's less pop or less rated than Yokohama. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised, too. Like, Bruges was very cool. The one time I played it, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I, I remember liking it, too, so... You'd like it even more with the expansion because it makes the some of the actions, like the wall action where you just build a wall, makes that a lot more interesting because now you build a wall and you draft a ship. Ooh. All right, I got that wrong. Let's go to the next one. All right, next for Paul is Ticket to Ride Nordic Countries. Oh, just Nordic Countries specifically? Yes. Oh, weird. Okay. That's a tough one. I remember that game being pretty popular. I'm going to say uh, better than Yokohama. Ooh. Okay. So above Yokohama. Final answer? Final answer. David, for the spirit point. Yeah, I don't think it's that popular, but I think you're in the right area. I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the risky answer. I'm going to take the gutsy answer here. I'm going to take it between... What? 299, 300? No, between Magic at 157 and Village at 181. All right. And... David gets the spirit point. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. It is at 179. So no point for Paul. In spirit, it pays to be gutsy. Oh, right. It's a very handy game because it's designed for two or three players, which is pretty cool. Unlike Ticket to Ride, where you have to like cut off half the roots. Oh, yeah, yeah. No double roots. All right. I'm ahead in spirit, but behind in actual points. Yep, it's true. But now it is your chance to tie it up, David, with this next game. All right. Where on this list is Space Alert? Before I answer that, I'm noticing that wrong answers are still included on the board here. Unlike regular rules of timeline. I live for the chaos, and this is definitely the chaos version. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) So we have 179 at Nordic Countries and 181 at Village. What game is 180, and will you give it to us? I use a random number generator. But that does mean it is possible. Oh, that then we if it's yeah, then we definitely have it somewhere. Well, you can use the random number generator, so yes, it is possible. What game was it again? Sorry, Space Alert. Oh, Space Alert. Is that still in the top one hundred? Oh, maybe not. There used to be a time when Vladia had like five games in the top one hundred. Wow, I think something like that. And now I think it's just Through the Ages, Mage Knight, and Code Names. So that means Space Alert dropped. So I'm going to put, but I don't know if it, oh, it's weird. There's still not quite a game like it, honestly, with a real-time app element. But I don't think it's still in the top 100, so it's got to have dropped. But how much is the question? I'm going to go with between Yokohama at 120 and Magic at 157. Okay. Paul, for the spirit fun point. I'd say worse than Village, better than Camelop. And the correct answer is... Everyone's wrong. Space Alert is at number 275. Good lord. According to Board Game Geek. Sure, of course, but that means it's dropped. It's dropped like 200 points then. Wow. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot of new games coming out each year and the the cult of the new hype is real, but I didn't know it was that that real. Right. We got to revisit Space Alert. There's still nothing quite like it, although maybe the Panic co-op isn't uh, so popular. Oh, there's Magic Maze, I guess. Magic Maze. <laughs> Anyway, whatever. I got it very wrong, but so did Paul. All right, on to round four. Paul, you ready? Ready. Your next game is Tolkien, the Mayan calendar. Okay. Where on the timeline is Tolkien, the Mayan calendar? Uh, wow. That has such a solid following. I'm going to go with better than magic, worse than Yokohama. Final answer. Final answer. Dave, I know you're a big fan of this game. What does your spirit say? I am, and I'm pretty sure it's I'm pretty sure it's better than Yokohama. I'm actually frankly quite surprised it's not in the top fifty anymore. And that is because it is number fifty-one. <laughs> <laughs> wow, really? Okay. That is where it is. I would have yeah, I would have suspected it dropped off more than that, but do you mean, mean, mean like two hundred points maybe or something? <laughs> Like, everything's been dropping off pretty aggressively. <laughs> this is true. The higher up you go, the harder it is to drop, though, of course. Yeah. 51. What the hell? Okay. The day gets a spirit point, but again, it unfortunately isn't going to be worth much right now. 
All right, David, your next game is Summoner Wars Master Set. Oh, God, it was there near Space Alert, wasn't it? So maybe it dropped off quite a bit. Although it was, uh, okay, it has an app that's very good. So maybe people are still playing it. I don't think so. I'm going to go, I'm just going to not overthink it. I'm going to try to put it between Village at 181 and Camel Up at 263. In the biggest gap? <laughs> yes, the biggest gap. The drop potential with the biggest gap. That's where I'm going. That makes a lot of sense. Final answer? Oh, for me, yeah. Okay. Paul, any thoughts? I'll go between Camel Up and Space Alert. That's where I would put it. Nice. Nice. And y'all are much closer this time, but both wrong. <laughs> Summer Wars is at number 279. Oh, wow. Oh, man. At least it's consistently relatively close to Space Alert. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. So they like dropped they dropped down together. <laughs> they dropped together, yeah, that makes sense. Stuff that used to be in the top one hundred together probably dropped similarly together and makes sense. Although man, after this I'm gonna if we don't get it, I'm gonna look up what's one eighty after this. <laughs> that one gap between one seventy nine and one eighty one ticket to ride Nordic countries and village. What could it be? It's one obscure piece of trivia. Unless the list has changed in these last ten days. Yeah, that too. They're changing they change pretty fast. All right. So we're moving on to round five, where if you get a correct answer, the points are, it's now worth, going to be worth two points. So with that in mind. Ready. Paul. Okay. Your next game is Too Many Bones, Undertow. Oh, wow. I really do not know this game. <laughs> <laughs> Too Many Bones? That's part of the hope of going down into this part of the list. <laughs> yeah. I remember that was well received for a little bit. It has some like narrative thing that's pretty like that was really popular for a while. Uh, I'm going to say worse than Village 181 and but better than Camel Up 163 263. Oh, you're going for the largest gap again. Uh-huh. Going for the largest gap. David, any thoughts for you? Yes, I have thoughts in that we were just joking about this off podcast that Too Many Bones is in the top 50. This is true. But this is Too Many Bones Undertow, which I didn't even know existed. And so how popular is it compared to its expansion? Wait, Too Many Bones is in the top 50? Yep. It's like 38. Really? Number 40, yeah. Yeah, number 40. So judging by all the other expansions like Gloomhaven and stuff, they're usually close. So I'm going to go better than Yokohama at 120 and worse than Sulkin at 51 uh, for my spirit point. As it turns out... Paul got it correctly. It is at number 228. Oh, way to to cut the biggest gap in half. (laughs) It's a random number generator, David. It's not not like I did it on purpose. Yeah, it is. Why are the Too Many Bones fans not happy about the expansion, I guess? I don't know. So that was a two-point question. So Paul now has four points to David's one. But it's now David's opportunity to answer one of these two-point questions. All right, David, ready? Yes. Okay. Where on this timeline is Kingdom Death Monster? Uh, well, great. I'm also surprised that's not in the top 50. That does make it easier. I'm just going to go between worse than Sulkin at 51, because it has to be, and then better than Yokohama at 120. Final answer. Once again, going for that big gap, and... And Paul? Paul? Between Yokohama and Magic the Gathering. You think Kingdom Death Monster has dropped out of the top 100? Yeah. Okay. Paul is wrong. David is right. Is that number 60? 60. Okay. So with that two-point question, David's catching up. It's now one-point gap again. Paul at four. David at three. I got two semi... I mean, I guess Paul I guess Paul got it wrong, but I felt those two were gimmies. The Kingdom Death Monster fan base is too rabid to let it drop too far. <laughs> oh, they really, they really are. <laughs> I mean, just like their game, I guess. Yeah, they really love it. And they really defend it in, let's say, not, not the nicest means, yeah. That is unfortunate. Yep. All right. Paul, are you ready? Round six. Here we go. Round six. We're almost there. Okay, where on this timeline is Isle of Cats? Isle of Cats? That's relatively new. Uh, in the last couple of years? Let's see. I think it came out in 2020, yeah. Like early 2020. Yeah, that was well received. I'm going to go with between Kingdom Death Monster and Yokohama. David. Hmm. Is it that well received? 
You know what I think? I think it's 180 exactly. I think it's between 179 Nordic countries and 181 village. I think it's the one. If I were funny, I would have had some sort of multiple of 180. <laughs> so it is not 180. Oh. And Paul is correct. It is number 107. Ooh, it's really getting up there. Another two-point question for Paul. Bring his score to six. David's still at three, but it is his turn for a question. Are you ready, David? I am ready. Okay. Where on this list is Alchemists? Huh. That's a really good question. It's so it's so unique. It's so kind of polarizing. To be honest, I'm actually surprised it's on the list. Therefore, I think worse than Bruges at 298 and... Oh wait, wait. There's only two spots below Bruges. Oh, for, for some reason, I thought it was I thought it was 350 to 350. Guys, from 50 to 300. Well, maybe it's 299 or 300. I don't know. Take your guess. Take your guess. Anyway, God, where would it be? Better than Space Alert? It seems odd. Better than Camelot? I think it's in that 200 area. So I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it. I think. I think the people that like it really like it, and it's one of the heavy seduction games there is. So I'm gonna go. No, you know what? I changed my mind. Change my mind. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go kind of gutsier here. I'll. I'll. I'll stick with what I originally thought and think it's way at the end. I'm gonna go between Summoner Wars at 279 and Bruges at 298. Final answer. Paul, any thoughts? Um, I would say worse than Too Many Bones, but better than Camel Up. I was thinking that too. The bigger gap, yeah. All right. So y'all have both vastly underestimated <laughs> the popularity of this game. <laughs> I guess so. It is at number 135. Oh, okay. I'm quite surprised, honestly. Yeah, I mean, the barrier to entry for that game is so high. Like, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm surprised that it... And so it's so specific. It's so specific. Maybe it's because of that specific specificity that the people that do rate it, rate it really highly. Play it? Oh, will rate it? Entirely likely. Yeah, but I didn't expect to have that many ratings to skew it that high. But, you know, I guess guess I was wrong. I do really like this game, so I'm, I'm happy to see it this high. I just didn't expect it. A fun surprise. A fun surprise. Yeah, I, I haven't played the expansion either with the, the Golem expansion, I think it's called, something like that. Way to cut the gap in half, man. Yeah, the gap that no one picked. for long. That was the very first gap we, we had the whole game. All right, this is it, the final round. This one's going to be worth three points, given how cluttered the timeline is. Paul, are you ready for your last game? Yeah. Okay. Where in this timeline is 1960, The Making of the President? Oh, such an old game. That game is so old. Oh, boy. (laughs) I mean, it was definitely out before I even started playing games. So I think it's from, like, what, early 90s? Wait, how how old is it? It's pretty old. We can look it up after this. That old? I don't... I mean, I guess, I guess it has to be after somewhere after 1960. So it was extremely highly, highly rated a long time ago. Obviously dropped off. I'm going to say worse than Too Many Bones, but better than Camel Up. And David? <laughs> oh, it sounded like you were about to say he's correct. I'll also go with that. Well, surprise, yeah. It is at number 246. All right, yeah, that, that sounds about right. All right, brings Paul's score up to nine. Wow, well done. So much for me, Winnie. Dave does not have a shot, but he does have more spirit points. So, like, <laughs> look at those spirit points. All right, I got three spirit points. I feel pretty good. Okay, David, last game. Where on this timeline is Alien Frontiers? You mean the first, uh, yeah, right? Guess 180. Could be. The first uh, successful Kickstarter? Let's see here. First successful Kickstarter. I wonder if it was, actually, but at, like, at least the most popular or well-known one, anyway. Yeah, it's it's the one that started the Kickstarter craze. Yeah. Don't really hear much about that game anymore, do you? Not really. I feel like it's in the genre with, like, in Bruges, or Bruges. It's like... Yeah. Like, it was well-received, it did well, and then, uh, you know, old news. Well, br- well, Bruce, Bruce is at 298. <laughs> People forgot about it. Meaning, you think it's at 299 or 300? <laughs> 299. Maybe it's 299 or... 299. Could be. Uh, I do think it's... I'm actually surprised it's still in the top 300. Where in that space? So I think it's got to be worse than Camel Up, second edition at 263. question is where in that list, where in that space is it? Where in the space? And I'm going to go pretty low. I'm going to go between Summoner Wars at 279 and Bruges at 298. Although I could go 
between Bruges and 300, which is two spots. That would be the funniest. It would, especially if we were right. But no, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with where I actually think it is. Two seventy nine, two ninety eight. Final answer. Paul. Well, yeah, it's it's probably there, but I'll take the uh, worse than Bruges. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and David, you are correct. It is sitting comfortably at two eighty four. Yeah, it made the score look respectable. Ding! You got the big boy point. Hey, and so. I think the question on everyone's mind is, what's 180? What's 180? Right now, according to the Board Game Geek, number 180 is Dinosaur Island. Oh. Though it could also potentially be Commands and Colors Ancient. Wait, is 179 still Nordic Countries? Nordic Countries is now 178, but Village is still 181. Wow, it moves fast. Okay, so you've it's Command and Colors and Dinosaur Island have snuck in there. The list is moving fast, but that's kind of surprising to see that Nordic countries went up. Yeah, that is weird, huh? That suggests that Nordic countries is the one that moved. It went up. Or some other game on top went down. That's also entirely possible. Something dropped, like, heavily? Oh, okay. I guess that's possible, but that would have to be exactly the one that went between, right? Did it get, like, vote-bombed or something? It would have to be commanding colors, because Village is still consistent at 181. That's what I was thinking. So if it wasn't pushed down, you know... Command and Colors went down, yeah. Wow, this is... I think we're coming up with our own uh, deduction game here. <laughs> <laughs> that is what it sounds like. Right? Like, you can, you can make a game based on the uh, the rankings go up and down, and then, like... You want to call it, like, weekly fluctuations on the top 100? Yeah. Top 500? A couple things change, and you have to deduce what happened with limited information. This is... this is uh, I'm going to get on this design um, after, after I get over losing this game. Well, luckily, you can start right away because you have lost. (laughs) And with that, that will conclude today's episode of the Impromptu Board Gaming Segments podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next time. And don't forget, if you're listening on YouTube, please like, comment, and subscribe. If you want to continue the conversation with us, you can do that at our Board Game Geek Guild Impromptu Board Gaming Podcast. Guild number 4233. Or if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, please email us at impromptu boardgaming podcast at gmail.com. That's all one word impromptu boardgaming podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time.